Luke chapter 12. I'd like for you to pray with me, if you would, this morning. Father, we just need you today. We need your touch. We need your strength. We need your power. We need your anointing. We covet your anointing this morning. We're grateful for what we've already experienced as we have been ushered, literally, into the throne room of heaven. And God, for your spirit that is always present among us, we don't take it for granted. We don't take it lightly. We covet that presence as we pull up to the banqueting table of the master. Lord, speak truth to us today. We need truth. We need to preach truth. We need to hear truth. We need to practice truth. And I ask you, Lord, to help this preacher today. Lord, that the word that would be spoken would be as an oracle from heaven. We thank you and we praise you for these things in Jesus' name. And the church said, <clears throat> amen. We'll read a few verses in Luke chapter 12 in just a few moments, but we spent the month of November <clears throat> sharing about the Lordship of Christ. If for some reason you missed one or two or all three of the last few Sundays, you can always go back and look at our Facebook or YouTube archives, so you should certainly have them. But one, one thing that's been a continuous theme and one thing that we need to be reminded of is that Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. That doesn't change no matter who you are, <clears throat> where you are in life, what your social status is, your background. Christianity was never intended to be an entry-level only relationship where all you do is claim Jesus as your Savior. Jesus wants you. He wants all of you. Jesus desires to have all of you. In fact, I'll take it a step further, and this may be a little bit of a rub, but Jesus demands to have all of you. Now, that may cause a little bit of a, a bristle. <clears throat> but God said, I am a jealous God, and my glory will I not share with another. In his Ten Commandments, God said, you shall have no other gods before me. That's what he said in his word. Now, if Jesus is Lord in your life and the Lordship of Christ has been settled within you, there's some issues that have been resolved. There's the position issue. Who is going to be number one? Is Jesus going to be tops over anyone else that you have a relationship with? Can you flat-footed say today that you love Jesus more than you do your spouse? Can you square your shoulders and say that you love Jesus more than you do your child? The position issue. Not only the position issue, but if you've settled the lordship of Christ in your life, then you have also settled the permission issue. Who has a right to my whole life? More than anyone else, Jesus has a right to have access to all compartments 
of my being, my existence, everything that I am, Jesus has a right to it. And if you've settled the position issue and the permission issue, then you also have settled the profession issue. What's the profession issue, Pastor? Well, it's, it's, it's that that says that what I possess is also what I profess. And that what I profess is also what I possess. And that to call him Lord with my lips alone is insufficient because he's an all-seeing God that sees beyond the veneer and into the depths of the soul. There's one more issue, and that if you've settled the issues of lordship of Christ in your life, not only the position and the permission and the profession, but you've also settled the possession issue. What's the possession issue? You ask the question, who owns the things in my life? If he's Lord of your life, then you've come to this realization that he owns the things in your life. And that all you are is a, a caretaker, a steward. See, when you truly embrace his lordship, friends, in your heart and in your spirit, then you also grasp the reality of your stewardship while you're on this earth. He's Lord. He owns. I'm a steward. I'm a caretaker of that that he has imparted to me to look after on his behalf. And a steward of the Lord, which all of us should be if we're Christians, will live sensibly in this life. Signs of a sensible steward. I want to talk about a couple of them this morning. First of all, a sensible steward will be responsible. Now, we can look in the Scripture and find out about some irresponsible stewards. And that's where I want to look this morning in Luke chapter 12. If you have your Bibles and it's open there, Luke chapter 12 beginning at verse 13. It tells us in the Word of God, And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, what shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night your soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he, look at verse 21, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now when I read that, I read that this is one irresponsible steward. And three things kind of jump off the pages into my heart. In verse 19, you'll see that he was irresponsible to himself. Look at verse 19. He says, and I will say to my soul, soul, 
Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, his, his thought of life just consisted of material things. He thought, let me just live for today. I might as well eat and drink and be merry and enjoy the moment today. If you look in those verses there, 11 times in three verses, you'll read the words, I or my. My or I. 11 times just in three verses of Scripture. You can read here that his selfishness was abounding. And it's much like the culture that we find ourselves living in today. I want mine and I want mine right now. Amen. Can someone say amen to that? Is that not the truth? I want mine and I want it instantly. But let me tell you, if you're going to be responsible to yourself and to do that for the sake of the kingdom, you have to understand that God called you to be a channel and not a cup. God called you to be a river and not a reservoir. He placed blessings upon you because he wanted to get them through you to be a blessing to someone else. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. It says these words, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, having sufficiency in all things, would abound to every good work. And I'm going to tell you today, you will not come to rest in him until you realize and embrace that his lordship in your life means your stewardship in his kingdom. Can I tell you some of the most miserable people that I've ever met since I've been in the ministry are people that refuse to accept their stewardship and as in their refusing to accept their stewardship they also refuse his lordship and they keep wondering why they're spinning their wheels. They keep wondering why life is nothing but a never-ending treadmill that they never can seem to get ahead. This man forgot that God's blessings to him were meant to help others. He was irresponsible to himself. He said, I'll just build bigger barns to store my fruits and to hold my goods. God called him a fool. Now, let me just stop here and tell you something. If you didn't know this, these are the words of Jesus. I cannot call you a fool. You cannot call me a fool. According to the words of Jesus, we can't call each other fools. It's in the Bible. But God can do whatever God wants to. And God said the man was irresponsible to himself and he called him a fool. But I've come by to also tell you there's some good news. That if God can get it through you, he will give it to you. And the flip side is also true. If you want to tie God's hands, then refuse to pass along the blessings. And you will find the blessings will suddenly become halted. Is anybody in the house today? <laughs> the man was irresponsible to himself. And then I also see that he was irresponsible to others. He didn't embrace that God's blessings to him were meant to help others. I looked at verse 17. If you have your Bible still open there, your electronic device is still open there, I want you to go back and look. And wouldn't it be great if, if verse 17, this is maybe how it should have read. Maybe it should have read this way. They began to pray to God. What shall I do since I have no place, Lord, to store your crops? This will I do. I will tear down God's barns and build larger ones to store 
store God's grains and God's goods, and I will say to others, what is your need, and how can I bless you? That's what God put us on this earth to do. God put us on this earth, number one, to worship and glorify the Lord, and God also put us on this earth so that we would be a blessing to other people that we come in contact with. I promise you, but more importantly, God promises you that if you will do for his glory with the possessions that he has blessed you with, he will take care of you and he will bless you in ways that you have never dreamed or imagined. I believe I'm in the room with a group of folks that knows what it's like to live under the showers of blessings from the Lord because they made up their mind a long time ago that God's going to be number one. He's going to be my Lord. I'm going to be his caretaker and I'm going to trust him even with my possessions. He was irresponsible to himself. He was irresponsible to others. And then thirdly, you can see that he was irresponsible to God. Notice verse 21. Don't miss it. So is he that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I know I've told you about the rich man who died and went to heaven. And as he was touring heaven, he saw this majestic mansion and asked, whose mansion is this? And the angel said, well, this is your gardener's mansion. Well, the rich man got all excited in anticipation. And he went a little further and he saw an even more stunning mansion. And he said, well, whose mansion is this? Well, this is one of the missionaries who spent their life on the mission field. Well, the rich man, boy, he couldn't hardly contain himself. He couldn't wait to see his own mansion. And he was brought to an eight-by-eight eight shack with a sheet over the windows and the door barely on its hinges. And the angel said, this, sir, is yours. In frustration and anger, he said, this cannot be. And this, there's no way this can be my mansion. And the angel looked at him, and this is what the angel said. Sir, we did the best with what you sent to us. Are you rich toward God? Are you liberal toward God? When's the last time you gave a cold cup of water in the name of Jesus? When's the last time you helped a widow? When's the last time you helped an orphan? When's the last time you sowed seed in the mission? Come on, somebody help me preach this morning. When's the last time that you were rich toward God? I'm telling you, if you're going to be responsible, you have to be responsible to yourself. You have to be responsible to others, the harvest you've been assigned to. And you have to ultimately be responsible to God. Do you literally pour into and invest into that that goes beyond this life? Can I tell you today, when you bless this church, you're not just keeping the lights on. You're keeping the gospel going forward. When you bless this church, when you sow seed into this local church, you are making sure that the Spirit of God has a place to move for lost people that come into the house of the Lord. When you bless the mission field, when you bless the orphan, when you bless the widow, when you bless the ministries, when you bless others, I've come by to preach the word. And the word is, no thief will steal it, no moth can corrupt it, and no dust will erode it. It is for eternity. That's God's 
promise to you. So a sensible steward will be responsible. Can I tell you something else? A sensible steward will be relaxed. They'll be relaxed. Look at that again in Luke 12. Look at verse 22. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. For life is more than meat. The body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. How much more are you better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not. They spend not, and yet I say unto you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be you of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that you have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupts. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can someone say amen to the promises of God's word? A sensible steward will be responsible, but they'll also be relaxed. The difference between a person who worries and one who does not have to worry. I'm going to say that part again. The difference between a person who worries and one who does not have to worry is simple. Lordship. That's good preaching. You and I worry not because of our possession or lack of our possessions. We worry because we fail to focus on God. But when God becomes owner of your life, then your problems become God's problems. Now, yeah, some of you are going to say I'm being irreverent here, but please take this in the context in which I say it. When God is truly in charge of your life, all of your life, and a problem arises, you can bend a knee and say, God, Father, you have a problem in my life. That's not being disrespectful. It's simply saying, 
I belong to you, Jesus. I've proven it with my time. I've proven it with my talent. I've proven it with my testimony. I've proven it with my tithing. And I need divine intervention. And I'm coming boldly to the throne of grace. I'm coming to find help in my time of need. I would much rather be that person than I would be the person that is in charge and a problem arises. And because he's not Lord of your life, you're trying to take care of your own problems. And instead, they just keep getting worse and worse. When will you come to a conclusion? When will you flat your feet, square your shoulders, and then say from this moment on, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It won't be lip service only. He will be Lord over everything in our lives. Here's the difference. and no, Not many preachers like to talk about it. It's called blessing and cursing. You see, a tither is on blessed ground. And a non-tither is on cursed ground. And there are problems that the non-tither needs God to fix, but God don't negotiate his word. You can stone the paper boy if you want to. You can pass off what you believe as being judgmental. The truth of the matter is it's conviction. You know it's the truth. Uh, that is one of the sweetest spiritual ladies ever in my ministry. I was fortunate to be her pastor two different times. And at least once, maybe twice. Boy, she got mad at me. She got mad. I mean, she went home mad. Until she got down to pray. And then when she got down to pray, she realized it wasn't the preacher talking to me. It was the Holy Spirit trying to reason with me. And she came back to me and she said, Pastor, I got to tell you, I need your forgiveness. I'm sorry. I held a grudge against you. It didn't last long. As soon as I left church on Sunday morning, I got home, went, got on my knees and started praying about it. But I was mad at you. And then the Holy Spirit began to reveal to me. That what the preacher was saying was the truth. And I'm telling you, you can walk out of here and get mad if you want to. And you go home and stew at me this afternoon. You can have me over your fried chicken if you want. But I'm telling you, what is the God's honest truth? It is the same in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. I'm trying to move you from cursed ground to blessed ground. I'm trying to get you to a place where you can live life more abundantly in the name of the Lord. I believe in blessing and cursing. I really do. I take this ministry, ministry thing very seriously. In ministry, in teaching, in preaching, in leadership. I, I, I'm just going to tell you, if you're going to lead people in ministry, make sure you're blessed and not cursed. That sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Don't take up my tithe as an usher if you're not blessed. Don't teach me the Bible if you're not blessed. Don't count and record my giving on the finance team if you're not blessed. Ooh, it's getting quiet in here. Don't attempt to lead me in a ministry if you're not blessed. Don't lead me in worship and music if you're not blessed. Don't stand on this platform if you're not tithing.
I'd hate for you to be a fly in the ointment of the rest of the team. Woo. But I'm telling you, if a pin could be dropped on carpet and be heard, it could be right about now. I'm serious about this ministry stuff. Souls hang in the balance. And the people that stand and minister on these instruments and stand on this stage, they're leading people into the throne room of God. Well, my husbands don't agree with tithing right now, and I don't know what to do. We both work. Well, you know what? Pay tithes on your income then. God will deal with him. Oh, Lord Jesus, give me strength here. If you're not blessed, your ministry will not be blessed. If, if you're cursed, what you do for the Lord will be, will be cursed. But if Jesus is Lord and you're a faithful caretaker of what belongs to the Lord, you need not worry because everything's going to be all right. Hallelujah and praise the Lord. I wrote that in my notes. Hallelujah and praise the Lord. You see, friend, the idea of worry literally means strangling the life out of. Worry defined is a mental distress or agitation that results from concern, usually for something that is pending or anticipated. That's what worry is. People that are living a curse, they have a reason to worry. People that are living blessed do not have to worry. Doesn't mean we don't fight the temptation to worry. <laughs> there are people in this house that settled it years ago. The tithe belongs to the Lord. There are believers, some that walked up to me last Sunday and said, the tithe belongs in the storehouse of the Lord. And I've come by to tell you, friend, faithful steward, that you are no longer subject to the economy of man. You are now under the economy of God, and he is the Lord who will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Don't fret at the gas pump. Don't fret at the grocery store. Say, God, my eyes are upon you, and if the prices go up due to inflation, just keep right on tithing. God will make a way for more provision so that you can satisfy the needs of your family. Oh, Lord, help me. Corey Ten Boom said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but worry empties today of its strength. Worry can destroy you physically and emotionally and mentally. I, I, I got to share this testimony because it just came to my spirit. And you, uh, you know, you know, my son's a miracle, but during that time, during that time when he was an infant and, and he had all the health problems that he did. And I, we had been tithing for several years, my wife and I did. Didn't keep worry from trying to get a hold of us, not just for his health, but also for the finances. Because I'm telling you, we get, we get the little tyke home and we're enjoying being new parents. And until you go to the mailbox and you go to the mailbox and the bills are that thick. And I just so happened my godly mama was in for the weekend. And I'm telling you, I sat down, and that pile of bills was sitting right there staring me in the face. 
And I remember her saying to me, and I was about to have a meltdown. I'll be honest with you. We were serving in Front Royal, Virginia, and I was, I was, I was really struggling over the financial part. And she looked at me, and she said, son, God's going to take care of this. You need to trust the Lord. You've been a tither. God's given you a promised son. God's going to heal him, and God's going to take care of all these bills. And I said, Lord, Mama, I don't know how it's going. Well, don't worry about how it's going to happen. You've been faithful in your tithing. God's going to take care of it. Well, long about that time, I received a phone call from the state overseer and said, I want you to preach a Wednesday morning service at Camp Mean. I said, I'm thinking to myself, have you lost your mind? Any other time, it would be an honor. But on this day, my nerves are completely shot. That was in June of 1999. There was about 100 people under the tabernacle. And I'm telling you, as I preached, God moved only about 100 folks. I didn't have no idea what was going to happen after that. But the overseer walked up to the pulpit and he said, I feel like we need to take up an offering for this man's boy's medical bills. And did you know that day an offering of $3,700 came in from a hundred God-fearing, God-believing folks. I'm telling you, you've come by too late to tell me God's not interested in every single thing going in your life. Prove him. Trust him. Challenge him. He will meet the need by your obedience. God's still up all night. And there ain't no need in both of you staying awake. Come on, somebody say amen. Faithful servant, you've made Jesus Lord over everything. God sent me here to tell you, don't you worry about anything. Somebody needs to receive that word. Don't you worry about anything. Others of you, don't you get tired of walking through life with a tight fist? When Jesus created you to give, his DNA has been deposited into you when you accepted Jesus. Let me just... I'm all good and deep right now. Let me go deeper. Let me just celebrate a few moments. I want you to know who you're in church with today. I want you to know who you're in church with today. You're sitting amongst some of the most open-handed, big-hearted people I've ever met in my 55 years on this earth. I'm telling you the truth. To watch 125 to 150 come out and pack 2,237 Christmas shoeboxes of little toys for children, that that will be their only Christmas. That's amazing to me. $2,400 will go to Vittles for Vets. And on top of that, in a few weeks, Alex and I will deliver gift baskets and love offerings to eight wounded veterans right here in Pulaski County. To God be the glory. I didn't think I could be blown away anymore. But two couples with infants in serious conditions with their health and this congregation last week 
of 336 people that were present in-house and people that gave online gave over $8,000 to bless them and lighten their load during this season, given from generous hearts in person and online. I'm telling you right now, you don't understand the joy of it until you start practicing it. But once you start practicing it, there's something that wells up inside of you that lets you know this thing is bigger than yourself. It's bigger than your family. It's bigger than your local church. We're making a difference around the world, and I give God praise for it because of faithful stewards that believe Jesus is their Lord. Next Sunday, we'll take up an annual Christ's birthday offering that'll make the load a bit lighter for widows and widowers in our church. That will let them know that they are not alone during the Christmas season. I tell you, it's crazy. It's crazy. This church ain't normal. Someone asked me the other day if I knew the percentages of givers in our church. In most churches, God's honest truth, research proves it. If you can find 30% of the body supporting the church, you're doing good. Not here. I guarantee you we're 60 to 70% at the Pulaski Church of God. Praise the Lord. I guarantee you. You say then, some of you are probably saying, well, why are you hounding me then? As long as there's one living on cursed ground and not on blessed ground, I'll keep on preaching it. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. So faithful steward, faithful caretaker, don't allow worry to dominate you. You don't, you don't have to worry. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing the finger at myself. I'm pointing the finger at myself. Because worry is something we all have to fight. All of us, we have to battle it. But worry is destructive. Worry will kill you. I pass the mic around to a couple of my medical professionals in this room. They tell you. Drives the blood pressure up. Works the heart harder. Overworks the brain, maybe. I haven't confirmed that part. It'll for sure cost you sleep. And that can't be good for you. There's all kinds of physical ramifications when you worry. Worry is destructive. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Worry is not only destructive, but it's also deceptive. Faithful steward, listen to this preacher today. It's not near as bad as your mind wants to paint it. It's happened to me time and time and time again, and I'm going, self, when will you ever learn? You worry and you worry and you worry, 
And then you get to the moment of truth, and you're like, eh, that really wasn't no big deal after all. And yet you've taken hours, possibly days off of your life. Am I, am I speaking the truth this morning? Worry is destructive. It is deceptive. It's also distractive. Worry will keep you from God's best in your life. The very best God has for you. Worry will snatch it away. Trust God and put Him first. Take your place as a faithful steward with His faithful Lordship in your life. And then sit back in amazement as the Lord takes care of every need in your life. My God. Come on, team, band. I'm going to tell you this as we wrap up. This whole month. This whole month has been on lordship. When I say Lord, I want it to be genuine. When I say Lord, I, I, I want the Lord to say he's, he's calling me Lord because I I am in charge of him. When you make up your mind, when you make up your mind and you cross the lordship line, you will become more effective as a Christian. You will become more equipped to resist temptation. You'll be more filled with joy. You came to me this week. Only one life. Soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Is that not the truth? God doesn't really care what kind of car you drive or how souped up it is. Lord don't really, he's indifferent what how fancy your house is or how simplistic it is it's great if you have education I celebrate education my son's getting ready to graduate college I'm excited about that but does it really have eternal ramifications but think about that I know you've seen that you've heard it only one life you don't get a do-over. You don't get to hit the reset button. You don't get to come to the end and say, oops, I really messed up there. Only what's done for Christ will last. Wow. When I give to the nation of Israel and to the mission work there, and I put it in the offering here it goes to save souls over in Jerusalem in Tel Aviv in Galilee and one day somehow 
some way, one of those Israelis are going to accept Jesus, and when they get to heaven, they may have heard it from a gospel preacher, for sure, or heard it through a gospel song, but somehow, some way, I'm going to meet them. I'm going to meet them, and they're going to say, because you provided the preacher, I heard the gospel. That's only what's done for Christ will last. Whether it's always been or whether it's today. Have you already crossed the Lordship line? Does he have all of you? I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands. I'm going to ask for everyone. Whether it's already been happening or whether it starts today. I'm going to ask you to join me around this altar and say, Lord, I'm going to, I'm, you are Lord of my life. You are Lord of my life. Don't know how it's all going to turn out, but you are Lord of my life. I want you to get up all over this place, and I want you to join me around this altar, up and down these aisles. Come on, come on. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait all over this place. Maybe you established his lordship years ago. Maybe it was last week. Maybe it's right now as the Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart. Come on up. Come on, everyone in the house. This is a time of consecration. We're ending 21. We're about to go into 22. I don't know if you can find the lyrics back there. But if you can, would you, would you dig them out? If you can't, most of you know it. Uh, this, is, this song has absolutely impacted my life many, many times. But I want us to sing it together today. Go ahead, Tony. Give myself away. I give myself away. Come on, make it your prayer. So you make it your prayer. Lift your hands to him right now. Come on. Don't worry about who's around you.
just like you, but this office has been assigned to me by the Lord. So I just feel prompted in my spirit to pray blessing and favor over you today. So if you will receive this prayer, would you just throw both hands out in front of you as I pray? Would you do that right now? Lord, I bless these wonderful people. You, Lord, are the good the great and the chief shepherd. I'm simply an under-shepherd and I'm their co-laborer. You are their Lord. You are their master. Hear the cry of this, your servant. I pray blessing over their health. I pray blessing over their finances. I pray blessing over their family over their lost children that are away from you, that you will bring them home. Because as faithful tithers, they can rebuke the devourer that's destroying their kids and their grandkids. <laughs> I pray blessing over their marriages, God. That lost spouse that has lived in rebellion for years. I pray favor over their, the rescue of their soul. I pray favor over their jobs and their careers. I pray that blessings abundant would be poured out upon them, that they will pause in amazement at the mailbox or in the supervisor's office. the goodness of God that has been opened over them because of their faithfulness. I pray favor over your people today. 
Lord, we send your word to bring it to pass. Now somebody give him some praise. Come on, let's give him some praise. Come on, let's give him some praise. Let's give him some praise. Hallelujah. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above. Now before you go, turn around and right here where you're standing, find you about four or five people and hug them, shake their hand and tell them how blessed you are today.